Women Taking the Lead, Episode 29. It reminds me of the resilience of the human spirit and kind of the grace that's available to us if we are willing to keep looking at why we want something and we keep kind of expressing the truest form of that, um, we can withstand anyhow it takes to get there. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. This episode is sponsored by Luma Coaching. Want some support to get your dreams off the ground? Go to womentakingthelead.com forward slash coaching to sign up for a consultation with me. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Rachana Jane, who is the owner of two six-plus-figure businesses built from the internet. Racha brings real-world expertise to helping her clients use the internet to make money more efficiently as they build their online communities. Racha, that was a very quick intro for you, so I'm going to hand it over. You've got some time. Tell us a little bit more about you and your own humble beginnings. Uh, absolutely. Hi, Jody. So I am a psychologist by training, and so I uh, completed advanced graduate work. I have a doctorate in psychology. And when I got out of graduate school, I knew absolutely nothing about business, but I was absolutely certain that I was going to just work as a psychologist, you know, my whole life. So I had to get a certain number of hours for licensure. So I did that. And then I got my own independent license and I thought, wow, this is amazing. You know, I've been working in a private practice. I was completely set to uh, just stay on there. And I thought, you know, wow, this is <laughs> going to be amazing. And um, it didn't actually turn out that way. So I ended up uh, leaving that practice and I can tell you more about that uh, whenever. And I started uh, looking at having my own practice, but I left so abruptly from that uh, first place I was working that I started my business in two days with no planning, no forethought, no savings, um, no... (laughs) No, no real understanding of of how one actually gets clients. Um, And so it was definitely a very, very bumpy journey. Um, I ended up teaching myself internet marketing. And this was back in the really early days of the internet. So around 1998 or so, I began teaching myself internet marketing uh, basically because I was too shy and too introverted to go out and meet people in real life. Um, and I uh, had some success with that. So I was able to eventually build up my psychology practice uh, from the internet. And then I had a lot of challenges getting paid by managed care. And so there were times where I would have to take a cash advance against my credit card to pay my rent and my phone and my billing person. And there was a point where I was pulling money out of the out of the ATM to pay my cash, you know, to, to pay my rent. And I thought to myself, why am I working so hard if I'm just going to live off my credit cards <laughs> anyway? <laughs> and so um, at that point, I was like, wow, there has to be a better way. So I began to look into uh, the process of coaching, which was just kind of getting started around that time. And that was my first business I built. I had a, I have a business still that coaches uh, graduate students to write their dissertations. And so that was a business that I learned uh, through trial and error, and I built it up over six figures. Um, At that point, people were wondering, how do you get clients from the internet? And I said, oh, well, you do this and you do that, you do the other thing. And they said, no, I don't want to learn it from you. I want you to do it for me. 
And I said, well, I don't know if it'll work for you because I've only ever done it for myself. But um, about 2003, I took on a handful of clients in kind of a test, a test case beta way. And I began to do their online marketing for them. And so I would work with their search engine optimization. I'd help them uh, gain followers uh, and fans. This was just about the time that social media was starting. So it was super early. But we would use a lot of different methods to help them uh, gain uh, status and reputation. And then um, I actually realized I liked that a lot. And so that's the work I've been doing since 2003. So what you'll hear in that story is a lot of evolution in a really, really short span of time. Um, and very little of it was graceful, <laughs> to, be, to be really honest. <laughs> well, when you do it all of a sudden like that... <laughs> Thanks, Jody. That's what I tell myself too. I tell myself, "Wow, the only reason that happened was because I did it really sudden like that." It just—it's like when you pivot really fast. It's not going to be graceful, you know. It's just you're just going to do what you have to do. So that was great. Well, clearly, Rachna, you've turned it around. You've had success, and you know you sound really confident about it now. Like you've got this—you know—internet marketing, building communities, building reputations down. No problem. But take us back to a time when you were playing small and you may not have been aware of it at the time. Share with us the story and the lessons you've learned. Sure. And and I'll tell you, Jody. actually, is that I don't know if there's just one moment that I could really point to, but I can give you kind of a sense that probably the first 10, you know, I've been in business now for myself uh, for about 14 years or so. And I would say probably the first seven to nine years of my whole business. I've, I've struggled, I've struggled alternate, alternately with playing small. So even when I was kind of achieving really big things in the world, I would, um, always be struggling kind of in the background, you know, a, like huge imposter syndrome and the sphere of being found out. Um, that has definitely shifted over the past few years, but it was, it was very, very difficult, you know, because there's part of me that wanted to go out there, wanted to meet people, wanted to grow my business, wanted to do all those things that, you know, I felt like I, I could do. And then there was this other part of me that was always, you know, well, um, you don't want people to think you're bossy. You don't want people to think you're aggressive. You don't want people to think you're too assertive. And I would say that probably the way that sh that playing small had showed up shown up for me a lot was in kind of waiting for permission or waiting to be invited. And so it was always, it's, it, it is still, it's not nearly as much, but historically it's always been a struggle for me to say like, I want that thing and I'm going to go for it directly. Um, I always have to kind of talk myself through it and say, um, you know, I want that thing. I'm going to go for it. And I have to keep working on sort of internal parts of me that keep saying, well, you know, people might not like you. People might think you're bossy. People might think you're too aggressive. People might, you know, be afraid of, of the, you know, just be afraid of you or be afraid of how you do things. And I think a lot of that actually comes from my background. I was raised in a, a Southeast Asian Indian family, East Indian family. And there was a lot of, there's been a lot of, um, maybe friction for lack of a better word. I can't think of another word right now, but there's been a lot of friction around, you know, first when I wanted to become a psychologist, because most of the time, uh, Indian uh, Indians growing up how I did would become uh, physicians or attorneys. And then when I 
wanted to have my own business, even though I knew nothing about business, there was friction there. And even now, there's a really strong cultural push towards kind of fitting in, adopting the sort of traditional model of being, you know, quietly quiet, you know, but very successful, but quiet. So you're not supposed to brag about yourself. There's just a lot of, there's kind of just a lot of things that um, I'm always having to kind of balance living in two cultures and, and trying to figure that out. So, you know, so I would say that more than a playing small moment, it's almost a, it's almost a constant companion of mine that I constantly have to be kind of aware of and, and, act, and, and actively working to create a different relationship with. You really gripped me when you talked about waiting for permission because mm-hmm. I just had a flashback of several leadership positions I've had where I didn't go for it until somebody said, we want mm-hmm. you to be a part of this or you should do this. Even this podcast, like several people said, asked me, are you starting a podcast? You should start a podcast. You'd be great. Even though I had already been thinking about Mm it, I didn't tell anybody like it was so scary. And it's so funny when you said that I was like, that's so true. What else, what else am I holding back on right now? What do I want to do that? I'm not telling people it's so, I think it's a theme for a lot of people, I definitely say women, but I don't want to leave men out of this either, but I've definitely seen it for women. And I think, yeah. And I think it's a great, it's a great story because I think the other part is it really has a lot to do, I believe with how supported you feel and like how well surrounded you are by other entrepreneurs. And that's why I think something like your podcast, Jody, is a really, you know, is a really great service to entrepreneurs and women entrepreneurs in particular, because all of us, when we're sitting in our offices and we're kind of in the grips of something, like we want something, but we don't know if we should, or we're waiting for somebody to say, yes, it's okay. Or you can come sit at the table, you know, with everybody else, you know, we go through all of the same feelings and there's not a lot of avenues. I don't think where people can get kind of support and get, you know, the, the help and the, the love and the nurturance sort of they need to step into their next level of greatness. You know, I think, I think that that's something that I've really seen is so important. And yet I've not felt that it's always so incredibly easy to find or access, you know, when we're going through something, we always feel like we're the only one who's ever felt that way. And it's, and it's absolutely not true. You know, something just struck me in what you were saying, because this came up when I interviewed Rich Brooks, Mm -hmm. that women don't tend to declare what they want. And I did say to him, I'm going to unpack this at some point. And I think you've just helped me to like peel off another layer is one thing I know to be true generally for women is we like to do things in community. And when you said support and like a network and entrepreneurs like feeling alone, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's part of it. I think as women, we want to know we're not going to do this on our own. We're going to have support. Um, you know, that people will be around us who believe in us. And so sometimes we're waiting for other people to talk about it first, because then we know we have their support. That's absolutely, I think that's a great, that's a great point. And I believe that's really, really true. You know, and I think that it becomes a little bit of a double-edged sword, because in some ways, obviously, we want the support, and we want the understanding. And then there is something about leadership, which, which, rest on the idea that we're going to do it anyway because we believe in it or we think it's a really good idea. And I think that, ten- that tension of relatedness and independence um, 
is, you know, is, is something that we're constantly having to work with because as women, we are really relational. And so we don't want to be out there, you know, we don't want to have success and be alone and have no friends Mm -hmm. and have no important relationships or any of those things. But at the same time, you know, sometimes we spend a lot of energy trying to get everyone on board before we do anything. And that is maybe not always productive either. No, I, I, I definitely see what you mean by the double-edged sword there. So it it is kind of a balancing act of, you know, get some support, you know, so you feel like you're not alone. But when you know it's right, go, 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 go. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Okay, Rachana. Now share with us a time in your journey when you had a wake-up call. Take us back to that moment and share with us the steps that you took that led to your success. So I think that probably my first wake-up call was the day that I left the practice that I had been working at for a couple of years. And the wake-up call in that was um, I had recently just gotten licensed, which I had shared with you, and we were in then salary negotiations for me to have an adjust, you know, an increased pay rate because I no longer needed supervision for my therapy cases. And I should I should note here that in this situation, I had built up a more than six-figure therapy practice. Uh, where none existed. So I just, you know, saw a lot of patients. I worked with them. I brought a lot of referrals into the practice. And so I had asked for a raise kind of related to the value I was bringing. And there was a lot of dawdling about getting me the raise. Then I got the raise. um, And then the raise was retroactively rescinded about three weeks later. And I went into work after uh, having been away uh, for the weekend. I came into work and they said, oh, your raise has been retroactively rescinded. And so, um, you know, that's sort of that's sort of the deal. So if you're going to stay here, that you're going to have to work at the rate you were working at before. Oh. Yeah. And, you know, and it had, I mean, I wasn't so well versed in the idea of having a contract or anything. I had worked there for a couple of years with no, no contract. So I didn't have a contract in hand, nothing, nothing to support my position. And that was on a Thursday. And on that Thursday, I was so hurt. I was so offended. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend starting a business <laughs> to anyone based on those feelings. But at the same time, it galvanized me totally into action. So that was on Thursday at like, two o'clock in the afternoon. And by Monday of the following week, I had opened up my own practice. So I found office space. I hired a billing person. I got my own phone lines. I called all of my patients who uh, were going to go with me if they wanted. Um, I got business cards printed. I did everything in about two and a half days. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, I didn't pay as much attention to all of the fallout, like all of my feelings and all of, all of my fallout with that. But that was the kind of biggest probably turning point for me where I just sort of, um, you know, I, I felt, I felt a certain way I wanted something and I went out and did it. And anytime I feel, you know, afraid or worried, I realize that I'm way more equipped now to do anything I want to compared to how I was when I started. And that turned out, you know, pretty much okay. (laughs) So I think probably whatever I want to do now will probably turn out okay too. 
Wow. What, what a story. I, can, I can't even imagine being in that situation where I had negotiated and given all of the reasons why I deserved a pay increase only to have it three weeks later, like three weeks, like, right. <laughs> and like it was a reality. It, absolutely. And, and the part about it was, you know, the part that was so messy too, was that it involved other people. I mean, I had a full client load and it was sort of like, okay, well, I saw them I saw them for 3 weeks of sessions supposedly under my new rate but then what would ha- like d- you know it was retroactively rescinded so essentially I was working under a false you know under a false um set of agreements for that period of time at least in terms of what I was getting paid and so you know there was a lot there was a lot to that and um it was an accelerated track of trying to learn everything I needed to learn um but like I said, you know, it, it definitely gives me courage anytime now I feel like, you know, I don't know about that. I'm a little worried. I'm a little anxious. It's like, well, <laughs> it can't, it can't be like that situation. It's going to be way better than that at least. Right. Right. And you know, the cure to, to worry now is action. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's the case, you know, and, and the truth is too, is I think there were so many lessons in that, which, you know, I think like any life experience we have, you know, we, we kind of unpack it and we find all of the lessons in it. You know, um, I don't know if, if I knew kind of what I know now, I may not have done it as rashly, um, you know, but then on the other hand, I think, well, you know, if it, it sort of turned out okay. And it's certainly been a very interesting journey. So maybe I would have, maybe I would have still done it that way. I don't know. Right, right. You know, there's, um, oh gosh, I wish I could reference it correctly, but there is a saying about, you know, um, storm the island, burn the boats, mm-hmm. right? Put yourself in a position where there's no way back. You will figure it out, right? Absolutely. You will take the island. And it sounds like that's, yes, it was done very quickly and in the heat of an emotion. And yes, on the other side, there were a lot of challenges and problems, but look at where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and the thing is, to be honest too, is I don't know if I don't know that I would be here now if I didn't have that happen because like I kind of said at the beginning, it had never crossed my mind ever to have my own business at all, much less, you know, three of them. So, you know, it's never, it never occurred to me that I would ever, you know, become an entrepreneur and be, be my own boss and have my own businesses. So, um, you know, I think sometimes it's like one of those things where you have to have a really big event to push you on the path where you're really meant to be. Because mm-hmm. now I can't imagine, I can't imagine um, the life that I thought I was going to have. So I can't imagine l- doing that every day. So, um, yeah, so it's really fascinating to to look at that. Yeah, and you don't have to go there. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and Rachel, what I want everyone to get is there's no one way to lead. We're all different. We all have different leadership styles, and they all work for us. So how would you describe your leadership style? I would say that my leadership style is it's probably a mix of having a pretty clear vision of where I'd like to go and then doing my best to support all of the people around me to do their parts so we can all go where we need to go. So I tend to be um, pretty visionary for what I want and how I want to achieve it. Um, And then I try to be open to let everyone give their input or contribute in whatever ways, you know, they can do best. Um, but I do that where I still retain some ownership about how I want things to turn out. So one of my kind of 
ways of working is I start every day making sure that everybody on my team has whatever they need to do their jobs. And then from there, I move on to, you know, the work that is is mostly mine. And so I really feel like part of my leadership is really in supporting my team members um, because they, they are there to support me. And so I want to, you know, help them support me as best that, that they can. Mm. And that's a great segue. What is one thing you're working on right now that you're really excited about? Oh, so one of the one of the projects I'm really really excited about is uh, looking at this idea of becoming a more optimized and a more efficient business and business owner. So some of the work I do, obviously, it's about um, lead generation and and conversion. Uh, testing and things like that. So I help my clients, you know, attract more fans and followers and subscribers and all that and help them become clients. Um, But the other part that I've seen with that too is that there's also a lot of possibilities for business optimization where many times, you know, I work with a lot of really creative coaches and consultants and authors and speaker types and they come and they're trying to sustain you know, eight or 10 income streams and all of them are underperforming. And so there's this kind of cool business optimization process we go through where we systematically look at every uh, every uh, income stream they have and we look at how it serves them, what it brings them, satisfaction levels, all those kinds of things. And we find actually that all of my clients make more by doing less after we go through that process. And so I have been doing it one-to-one. I work uh, in a very boutique way. And I'm looking to uh, actually the this summer or the end of the summer to beta test a small group uh, format for that kind of optimization. So I'm really, really excited about that. That's so you're putting into practice your own system. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. So I love it. You know, one thing I talk about with my clients a lot is the cobbler's children's syndrome. Yes. You know, and you've identified it and you're taking care of it because that's usually something that is holding us back. Like our greatest gift that we give to our clients, we do not apply to ourselves. And it, you know, it's just, it's really great to hear that you're like, this is what I'm doing. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know, because I think it is very easy to always do for our clients, you know, and so it's really key that we also keep an eye on, you know, on ourselves and what our businesses need, aside from just the services we provide others. Mm-hmm. And for those who are listening who are not entrepreneurs, I would say this does also apply to you. There is something you give freely to other people <laughs> that you are not giving to yourself. And so I would, I would recommend taking some time today and really thinking about what that is um, and giving yourself some of your own gift. Okay. Now, Raj, I'm not going to take us through a quick leadership roundup. So tell us, what is one practice that makes you a better leader? Uh, What makes me a better leader is having hobbies that I love incredibly much and making time for them and investing in them like every weekend. Oh, what kind of hobbies? Yeah, I'm an avid digital photographer and I've just picked up silversmithing. So these are my two like absolute loves. So I get to, you know, make really beautiful jewelry and then I get to take pictures of my jewelry, which is fantastic. But then I also love to travel to, you know, different places, um, even just locally. Like I live, uh, I live on the East Coast. And so there's a lot of uh, towns and, you know, nearby that have really awesome things to take pictures of. So uh, I'm really, really into photography. And one of the newest practices I've started adopting is 
you know how it's really easy on the weekends, like to start off your weekend by doing like all the chores that are kind of left over from the week. Like you use Saturdays to run errands and and do stuff like that. Well, I decided I wasn't going to do that anymore. So what I do is um, every Saturday, I basically take off for the entire day and I just, I'm just gone doing silversmithing or photography or something else, you know, equally fun. And um, I work very, very hard, you know, through the rest of the week, but just, just giving myself that full Saturday every week has made a huge difference in how I feel, how I'm showing up, um, you know, the joy I have in my life, um, so yeah, so that's one practice is just finding one day to go and do something artistic or creative or something that just makes you really happy. It's made a huge difference. You know, and I love that you say that you're putting into practice what most of us experience when we're about to go away on a vacation yes. or there's a big event on the weekend is we make sure our work week is productive. Yes. Right. If we allow Saturday for catch up time and chores and stuff like that, we will push those things off. Absolutely. And yet I would encourage anyone who feels at all attracted by the idea to just try it, try it for like five or six weeks. Cause it takes, a, I found it took that about that long to get kind of in the rhythm with it, but try it for five or six weeks and make Saturday a no work day at all. And you'll find that you'll naturally start to adjust the way you work the rest of the week to make Saturday your play day. Mm, I love that. And what is one book you would recommend to a woman to help her develop her leadership? So there's actually a book, um, there's actually two books that I really like. And the part that's actually funny is they were both written by men, but I think that they have, I think that they have, that's okay. yeah, that they have a lot of, <laughs> a lot of value for women. So one book is Simon Sinek's Start With Why. Mm-hmm. And it's a book that talks about the idea of building our whole businesses from our internal why and the core why of everything. So we build all of our products, all of our services. And it really, I think, is a statement about creating meaning in what we do. And I feel like that that is kind of a natural fit for so many women who are so relational, so associative. They want to make connections. They want to understand how everything fits into everything else. So Start With Why is a book that I really, uh, really like and I think is really valuable. And then the second book I also uh, really liked is a simple book called The Dan Sullivan Question. And it's a it's a really good book about eliciting what your clients really want and what it would take for them to be satisfied. And I think that both of these books together gives you a really powerful platform for creating you know, uh, connections with your clients and customers and, and being able to meet their needs uh, in a way that they, you know, that they appreciate and agree to and really value. I love that. All right, Rachna, knowing what you know now, if given a chance to go back and do anything differently, what would you change? Um, I would have made a more active effort to uh, very much sooner to stop being afraid. Like I, I would have said, it's okay to be afraid and go do it anyway. I wouldn't have let fear stop me. Because when I look back, Jody, the biggest shift I've made is that I'm still afraid of things, you know, but I kind of, I go ahead and do things anyway. Like I don't, I don't sit in my office feeling afraid and doing nothing, which I spent a lot of time doing that before. Um, and so that I think is the, is probably the, the biggest shift is I'd stop being, or, or I'd stop letting fear stop me, I think is the simplest way to say it. Mm, and I'm going to put you on the spot for a quick second, because okay. I'm curious, um, 
What was what was one thing that you were afraid to do before that you didn't do? Um, I th- well, I think <laughs> this is the part that's really funny is I was actually really afraid to market myself. Yeah. You know, and so it's really funny now that I market like I market myself all the time and I market other people too. Yeah. <laughs> so that's you know, it's kind of one of those those really just I you know, a little bit of ironic things. And and the and the funny thing is, you know, the interesting thing is is I'm actually really good at it. Yeah. And so it's you know, it's funny to me that I used to find it really difficult to talk with people and meet with people and be able to say like, oh, you know, these services are really good and and they could really help you and here's results and here's case studies and all the things that, you know, that I might do now. And, And I think probably the inherent piece in that is the distinction between feeling like if somebody says no, they're saying no to your service versus rejecting you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important distinction that I understand now. Um, that part of the problem is that when you have few opportunities, right, and it's kind of a vicious cycle because if you are concerned or afraid to market yourself, you don't have a lot of opportunities that you can create. So every single one feels so important because you don't know, you know, when you'll have another client inquiry or another client consultation or things like that. And so the problem is then is that every single time you talk to a potential client, there's so much pressure to make that that turn into a sale mm-hmm. that it becomes this kind of self-perpetuating cycle. And so the part that's been, you know, the part I've learned or the part is really interesting is I always just try now to have a lot more opportunities uh, than I need. And then I don't become overly attached to any particular one. And it just gives people room to make their own decisions um, and me not to feel like I'm always, you know, pushing or chasing or make trying to make a certain outcome happen. And and that, I think, comes with some years of experience and some uh, years of confidence, too. Yeah. I, I love that you gave that as an example because I've met so many women who get really uncomfortable with the idea of promoting themselves and asking for the sale. Um, it, it, it is just, uh, it's, it's a trend. I, I've just seen it a it lot. It is, yeah. you know, and I think the other part, Jody, that I've also seen is sort of a little bit of the flip side of that where, you know, sometimes, sometimes women don't pay attention to the idea of building a connection or a relationship first. And so it's sort of like on one hand, they're afraid to promote themselves. And then on the other hand, they sort of forget the basic rules of like social engagement and then Mm -hmm. like promote themselves way too early in a new interaction. That's really interesting. I I could bring you back another time. We can have a whole (laughs) conversation about this because I think, you know, you're pointing to something um, that's absolutely true that when we get into a virtual environment or because it's quote unquote business Mm -hmm. that we we disconnect. We forget that we're talking to human beings, that it's just like a relationship you would have if you met somebody at a backyard barbecue. That, that's exactly, yeah, that's exactly right. And so I think there's this definitely, you know, a gap, um, in, you know, there's a gap between the, the, you know, women or, or people who don't want to market themselves at all because they feel discomfort. And then the ones who feel discomfort too, but their reaction to it is to go really far the other way and forget that it is about building that initial interaction and relationship first. Okay, Rachna, share with us a success quote or a mantra and why it has meaning for you. 
Yeah. So the a success quote that I really like comes from Viktor Frankl, who wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And it's a story of how he survived the concentration camps uh, during World War II. And the quote is, he who has a why can survive any how. And it is a real, for me, it's, it's personally meaningful because he was living in the, you know, among the worst conditions probably that we could ever imagine. And he was still self-reflective. He was still working on, on his perspective of things. He was still trying to find a meaning for his life amidst all of the, the torture and the suffering. And granted, you know, that's an extreme example. Most of us are not living in situations, you know, as extreme as that, but it reminds me of the resilience of the human spirit and kind of the grace that's available to us if we are willing to keep looking at why we want something and we keep kind of expressing the truest form of that, um, we can withstand anyhow it takes to get there. I love it. And Rachna, lastly, what is the best way for our listeners to connect with you? Uh, yeah, that'd be, I would be great. I'd be glad to uh, hear from any of you. My website is profitablepopularity.com. Um, or I'm also on Facebook at Rachna Jane. That's R-A-C-H-N-A-J-A-I-N. Okay. And you can find all the links and resources shared in this episode at womentakingthelead.com, or you can use the short link, which is womentl.com. And Rachna, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Thanks, Jody. Thank you for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. Were you inspired to take some action today, but maybe don't know where to start? Or maybe you have so many great ideas you can't decide where to focus your attention. Don't let stress or overwhelm stop you from having the career, the business, or the life you want to live. Head over to womentakingthelead.com forward slash coaching or use the short link womentl.com forward slash coaching to sign up for a consultation with me. And to strengthen you on your leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson. So here goes. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining me, and here's to your success.